I think he's saying similarly, just like you can see the fruit pop on the tree and the leaves sprout out, you know, summer is near, it's time to harvest the fruit. Similarly, he's saying when you see these things happening, that's how you can know that the end is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that, in, that it is near at the very doors. So he's saying, um, just like you can look at a fruit tree and tell when it's time to harvest them, you can look at these happenings around the world, the tribulations, the eclipses, uh, the angels coming and gathering uh, the people. Then you'll know that that's when the end is near. And then that's when you'll, um, you'll know the second coming is at hand. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And Jesus is saying that um, the generation that goes through this, say the sun and the moon being darkened and um, Jesus is saying, oh, sorry. I think Jesus is saying here to pick up where we left off um, in Mark 13, uh, verse 30, that, um, when you see these things happening, that's when you'll know that the end is actually coming. That when you see the eclipses, when you see the tribulations, when you see the destructions that he talked about, that's going to be your sign. Just as if you would look at a fig tree and see its leaves appear and then the fruit appear. Um, and the next verse, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Um, that's Mark 13, 31. Jesus is saying that um, yeah, heaven and earth may pass away, but the words he's spoken are going to be true and they're going to come to pass and they're going to happen. And as we just said, some of them have already happened. Many of them already happened to the disciples even up to Paul appearing and telling them he saw Christ in the desert and people being misled that way. Um, the next verse. But of that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus is saying there that if anyone tries to tell you they know when the end is going to be, whether it's the Mayan calendar saying it was 2012, which clearly it was not, or um, the people riding the Hale-Bopp Comet thinking they're going to ride that and escape the end, and clearly that was not the end either, that no one knows when the end is going to be. And he's saying not even him as he walked earth knew when the end's going to be, but only God the Father himself knows when the end will be. So don't let people fool you in that sense either. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. So he's reemphasizing that no matter what people tell you they believe it is, no one knows when the end is going to be except God himself. And then in the meantime, take heed so that you're not deceived. Watch for the signs and pray. Um, and another place says, pray that you may escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. So that's what we as Christians should be doing, not trying to believe that, oh, that's the end date. So let me uh, get my wor world in order before that date gets here, thinking it's a specific date, but actually walk repenting. And in the fear of God all the time, think, knowing that it could happen at any time. Although there are other things that happen, have to happen before it comes. But on an individual basis, and the end could come, basis, the end could come for any of us at any time. And you really don't know it. So watch and pray and take heed. 
It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So Jesus is saying that's what it's like for us as Christians. We've been given these commands and told what to do and um, told to watch for these signs and watch for the end. So he's saying, watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. So again, he's emphasizing nobody knows when the end will be. No one, nobody knows when that time is going to come for us to meet our maker and how what circumstance is going to be. But to watch. Uh, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And I don't think he means sleeping in the sense of... Um, getting rest because we all have to do that. I think he's saying sort of sleeping on the job. You're not watching for what you're supposed to be sleep, watching for and looking for the signs and doing what you're supposed to do as far as praying and not being deceived and spreading the word. And then um, less coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. So basically it'd be like sleeping on a job and your boss catching you. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So the big command there for looking for the signs of what the end are going to be, because remember, that's how it started out with the disciples asking him, what will those signs be? He's saying the thing you need to do is watch. You're not going to know the exact day or time. What you do know is that these things are going to happen. They're going to come to pass. And that the main thing you need to do is to take heed so that you're not deceived and watch. So watch for those signs and um and um, then you'll know that way, just like you watch a fig tree and know when it's time for it to bear fruit. Watch for those signs, the tribulations, the eclipses, all the other events to happen. And um, you'll know then. And of course, to pray. So that ends this reading. I hope it was a blessing for him. Sorry, I got interrupted a couple of times. Like I said, I'm still trying to figure out how this um, these podcasts and things work. But um, hopefully it wasn't too bad and hope you're able to get something from it. And God willing. Next Wednesday, we'll pick up where we left off in the book of Luke. And God willing, we're, um, next Saturday night, Sunday morning, midnight, we'll pick up where we left off here properly in the book of Mark. God bless you. And thanks again for reading along with me. Peace. Welcome to The Naked Truth. As always, if you came expecting nudity, go to my um, site, songtgirl.com, exactly my, like my name here. You can check out the other Naked Truth lessons there. The Living Water Chapel sort of go over the lessons that are nearest and dearest to me. Like I said, if you're expecting nudity, just click on the pictures there. They are free videos that I update weekly. And um, you can see that side of me. Feel free to get a subscription, a membership, or make a donation, or just check out the free stuff that I have for you there. All of it is appreciated. Now, if you do know what we're doing here, we go over the gospel of Jesus Christ, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And um, that's actually in a hunt to try and find what the actual naked truth is of what Jesus would have us do and what Christianity is truly about. So um, to pick up where we left off at, um, I'm we went over Mark before, but it was a chapter Mark that had already gone over and just lost track from switching from platform to platform, from platform to platform, excuse me. So what we're going to pick up at this time is um, Mark chapter 13. So where we left off and when we were doing it on YouTube was Mark chapter 12. And um, Jesus basically ended that chapter. Well, first he was giving what the greatest commandments are. Uh, which one would be love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then sort of those two things cover a multitude of commandments because if you love the Lord, then you aren't going to create um, idols that you worship instead of him. And if you love your neighbor, you're not going to um, steal from him or murder him or kill him. Um, you just aren't. those. So that sort of covers the thou shalt not kills and, and all the other things that you wouldn't want done to you. So don't do them to your neighbor. And it ends with the widow um, with the two mites that a poor person gave, a poor widow gave um, in her dedication to sort of um, not a tithe, but it was her offering of giving two mites, which is like a couple of pennies, maybe even less than that. Um, by today's um, measuring of it, adjusted for inflation, as they say. Um, but how that dedication, that offering was greater than the dedications and offerings that the rich were putting in because she really didn't have anything to give, but gave all that she could. So um, that's where Mark chapter 12 ended. If you'd like, pick up your Bible and read along with me. We're going to pick up Mark chapter 13, verse 1. And um, if you don't have your Bible handy, then just listen along in either way. God willing, be blessed. So uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, we see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. So they're sort of um, in amazement at the great temple that used to be there. And Jesus answered and said to him, said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus is predicting that that temple would be torn down, and it was. And don't let other preachers twist this in your mind. They're going to say that this hasn't happened yet, um, even though there's no temple there now because it was destroyed in like the year 70 AD by the Romans who sacked the city. Um so this did already happen. So don't let people lie to you and say this hasn't happened yet. It already happened. And then if they try to tell you that um, it's it hasn't happened because they're still part of the wailing wall that's there, he didn't say the wall. He said the buildings of the temple, that that's what they're referring to. And the temple buildings are gone. Um, though the part of the wall is still there, that's true. The temple buildings itself that they referred to are gone. So it did already happen. So don't let these preachers teach preachers who call themselves teachers lie to you and just tell you anything and you just believe it. That's the whole problem what's going on in the country now, that some people are just blindly brainwashed into following people who tell them one thing and say and do another, and it's perfectly okay with them to the destruction of the country. It's crazy. But um, so just what Jesus is saying there, they, they were asking when would the buildings, um, when would it happen? And he's saying, well, they're pointing out how grand the buildings are. And Jesus is telling them the time's coming when those buildings are going to be demolished. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So don't overlook that. A small group of his disciples came to him and asked him about what he just said about the buildings being, you know, being destroyed. So, but they're also, don't overlook that they're asking about more than one thing. They ask him about a couple of things. They want to know when will those things be and when will the signs, uh, when, when all these things are fulfilled. So they're asking about two different times here. Jesus answering them began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. 
So the number one warning is don't be deceived. People will lie to you. So don't let people, even if you can't stop people from lying to you, don't believe the lie. For many will come in my name saying I am he and will deceive many. So a lot of people will write this off as the Antichrist, but that again is a lie. It, he doesn't point to one specific entity that's going to come and deceive everyone. He says many will come. So if you want to call them Antichrist, plural, then okay, that makes sense. But don't point to this as saying, oh, he's talking about the Antichrist. He's not point, talking about one specific person at all. Um, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. So Jesus is, and Jesus is saying here, there will be upsetting things, upsetting news, upsetting developments that happen, but that, that's not going to be what the actual um, end will be. And um, he's, he's saying you're going to hear about the wars and rumors of wars, and that's probably been since the world began. So he's saying, you know, don't look for that as your sign of um, the end coming. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. So the first thing to look for is the deception. He says, that take heed that no one deceives you because many will come in his name and deceive many. That's the first sign that a liar will arise. And the second sign that will happen was is that there will be wars and commotions and then all the various um, natural disasters that go on, which have been happening from the beginning of time, um, at least here on earth. So um, that that's another thing and that those also are just the beginnings. Those are the beginning of sorrows. That's not the end yet. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues, and you'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Now, again, preachers will preach this and have people believing that that's going to happen to us in this generation. But that's not what he's saying. He said it to those specific disciples that came to him and asked them about this, and it did happen to them. They were delivered up. Many of them were persecuted, 11 of the 12. 10 of the 12 were martyred, murdered for their testimony of Christ. That's what he was pointing to. He's pointing to the fact that those things would happen to them. And But it happened um, that they could give a testimony as to what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and so that that could form what we call the Bible and circle you know, circle the world so that people could believe. It's not something that we should be looking forward to happening now. Not to say that we shouldn't also testify for our Christian beliefs to people we encounter, but he's saying specifically to them that that's what was going to happen to them. And it did. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So they that would happen to them. They were beaten in synagogues. Some of them were crucified. Many of them were killed. Some were stoned. One committed suicide. So all those things happened already to the disciples and um, that formed the gospel, what circ what's circulated throughout the world as the Bible, tucked away in the Bible among all kinds of other teachings that Jesus did not condone or reaffirm. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying here that the disciples, when they were delivered up and they were to give their testimony, don't try and uh, they weren't going to they weren't supposed to think for themselves and say what come say what they feel like saying. 
but that the gospel that Jesus had taught them would be refreshed in their mind, in their tongue by the Holy Spirit. And that's what led to us having Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Their testimony was um, documented by their captors. And now it's being circulated for us to believe, not that people nowadays are going to be delivered up to these councils and that our testimonies was going to go around the world, which may happen, but that's not what he's referring to here. He's pointing this out to them, letting them know the signs that would happen to when these things would be fulfilled. What sense would he be to give him, what sense would it make for him to have given them the signs of things that are going to happen to us when they've already died and they're not going to see those things happening? So does it make sense that preachers preach that, um, it's us who are going to be delivered up and and give these testimonies. Because imagine if it was us that it was going to happen to. Even if it was us, this generation of people, when I say us, then it's taken 2,000 years for the gospel that um, they witnessed to pass around and for people to try and understand it. It still hasn't even reached all the way around the world. So it would um, it'd be hard to believe that if these trials were happening now, that um, we'd have to wait for those uh, testimonies to be compiled and then circulate the world and then for everyone to believe it, for that to be the end. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He's saying that this gospel, what they've testified to, has to circle the world. And that's one of the signs that you can actually look for when you'll know when the end is actually near that the gospel must first be preached throughout all the world. So once that happens, then you could start looking for the signs that uh, second coming, that the end of the world is near. But that has that's what hasn't happened yet. The gospel hasn't been preached to all the nations yet. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry. Okay, um, now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. So um, preachers will twist this to say that death here is referring to the devil. Uh, but then they'll also tell you that the devil is locked away in heaven, or but that his spirit is free to roam the earth. But then that doesn't make sense either, because if his spirit's roaming the earth, and whatever being of him is locked away in heaven, well, if his spirit is free to roam the earth, then what part of him is locked away in heaven, since only spirit can enter heaven and flesh and blood can't. So their own teachings contradict themselves. So it's not talking about death being the devil here. It's talking about a physical spirit, a physical actual death. You're going to, that uh, some of them would die and be delivered up by um, their loved ones, betrayed by loved ones and friends. And it's referring to, because most likely uh, they're following some other teaching that doesn't agree with what Jesus taught but that the whole gospel should still spread around the world. The disciples, many of them, like I said, gave their lives for that testimony so that we could have it today. And you'll be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So Jesus is saying, don't expect your Christian beliefs to be popular. True Christian beliefs, not uh, Christian in name only type beliefs where you say you're pro-life, but you're also pro-death penalty. It, it's that's hypocritical, but it's very popular nowadays. And uh, but the true Christian belief um, is not very popular nowadays, and it probably never was. And Jesus is saying here um, that you're going to face opposition, even hatred, because of it. But he who enters the end shall be saved. 
Um, but when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So uh, this abomination of desolation could mean a couple of things. Um, first, he's reflecting back to Daniel. That's an old, in case you don't know it, Daniel is an Old Testament, uh, I'd say prophet, but because um, he did, he was able to prophesy, but he was basically taken as a slave when um, the Israelites were uh, conquered in the Old Testament. And uh, he was the one who was in the lion's den, and he also worked for their king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, and he could interpret dreams and that sort of thing. There's a whole book on it if you want to read it yourself. But Jesus is saying the abomination, which is basically an affront, something that's an offense of desolation, that's emptiness, spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing where it ought not. So this could mean from the time when um, the daily sacrifices were being made, because remember, um, although everyone didn't accept Jesus as Christ and Messiah, um, somehow, for some reason, it doesn't really say how, the Jewish people of faith, the religious community back then, there doesn't seem to be any more mentioning of them doing burnt offerings and um, uh, animal sacrifices after Jesus's existence. Um, it doesn't really explain where all that went to. And certainly now you don't see that happening in the Holy Land of them making national sacrifices as far as burnt offerings and stuff like that. So it's kind of baffling where if, you, okay, well, if you didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the Christ, then why aren't they still making animal sacrifices? Um, whatever the case is, Jesus is saying that once um, you see that happening, the the abomination of emptiness. And some people could say, some people believe this is the Dome of the Rock being there. The fact that, that a whole nother religion is being set up there in Jerusalem, has been set up there in Jerusalem to um, have people come and worship, that that could be the abomination of desolation standing where it should not, because uh, like I said, that's a whole different religion. Um, that that could be what Jesus is referring to, but uh, more than likely, what he's referring to is when um, Jerusalem was surrounded by armies with Titus and that the temple was destroyed and the people resorted to cannibalism because they were cut off from food. And um, But we'll get into it more. And let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of his house. Um, so Jesus is saying it's uh, basically going to be a desperate time of flight, it seems like, where um, you're going to have to basically run for your life. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his garment. So again, it's um, if that sort of flashes back to when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and the um, Lot's wife looked back missing things that she was turning away from her life there. And ends up losing her life trying to save what it is that she had before. Um, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those with nursing babies in those days. I think what Jesus is saying there, like I said, when it happened, when the temple was destroyed in about 70 AD, that um, the people were so desperate because they were cut off from going in and out of the city because they were surrounded by the Roman army that... Um, it caused desperate times where people were um, 
eating their own children, like eating their own placenta, and not because of how it's popular nowadays for the nutrients, but because of desperation and not having anything to eat. I think that's what Jesus is referring to there, that that's the woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies, because uh, their children are going to be seen as food out of hunger. And it's not the only time that it happened. If you look in the Old Testament, you can see other in other times of war when they were under siege, the same thing happened that the um, babies were eaten as um, meals out of desperation. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. And I guess what the nursing babies would be because the milk also that the baby should get for its growth is probably going to be used as food also for um, just to survive because there's nothing else for them to, to be had. Now, whether that's because of a siege of war or because of scarcity, like the like Revelation says that if, I mean, I have my own feelings about Revelation, but if those prophecies are true, there would be great scarcity where you'd work all your day for like a crust of bread to pay for that with inflation and scarcity going around. Um, so that that probably will become valuable that you can't afford anything to eat, but you do have a baby that requires milk. So you eat the baby and drink your own milk. Um, and that's a woe to them because it's just that desperate. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. And when he's saying flight there, I don't think he's talking about uh, rapture flight, uh, but he's talking about a fleeing flight. And you're trying to get away from the desperation. And um, the winter, I think he's referring to would be, um, it could mean winter as far as um, the conditions are so treacherous out that it's cold and like that to get around. But more than likely in a future sense, it would be a nuclear winter that I'll pray that it's not um, a, a winter caused by nuclear disaster and the sun being blocked and the world being thrown into sort of another ice age from the destruction that humans cause. It seems more likely that that's probably the case but any one of them are possible. And some preachers will say this is just means don't be harvested out of season. But it, he isn't talking about harvest at all at this point. It's um, it's pointing to the tribulations that are going to be going on. And then that's another thing that some preachers will preach that um, in Daniel, it says that the Antichrist will come peacefully and prosperously. But if you notice here, one, there's no mention of an Antichrist singular, but instead false Christ and false prophets coming forward. And um, for two, that it's not prosperously and peacefully, but it's with great tribulation, it's with wars and rumors of wars. So again, don't let people, even if they're preachers that you like and trust, and even if they say it with authority and bark it at you, don't let that fool you into thinking that it's the truth. You could read it right there. That's not what it says. Um, for in those days there will be tribulations such as has not been from the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Now that seems like it would be looking, uh, it would have to be talking about a nuclear winter because that's the one thing so far that the world hasn't brought itself to. There have been lots of wars, lots of sieges, including the one um, of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple back then. But there hasn't been a nuclear holocaust in the sense that um, people got so carried away with power that they threw the world backwards thousands of years by destroying everything. And um, it could easily happen nowadays because you now there are nuclear weapons that could easily make it happen. 
Um, and that would be something that hasn't happened, at least in, in written, since written history. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. So, um, he, again, if people tell you that he's going to come in peacefully and prosperously, you know that that's obviously not um, not true because that's not what he says. He says it's going to be so terrible. The tribulation is going to be so bad that no one would even make it unless those days were shortened. So if it's peacefully and prosperously, that's just the opposite of that. That doesn't make sense. Um, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or look, he's there. Do not believe it. Now, um, this points to um, where a lot of Christians get hung up in following other people's teachings, because Jesus tells you very plainly here, tells us very plainly, if someone says, look, he's there, look, he's here, don't believe it. But what happened after Jesus's death and resurrection, um, and then after he ascended and left the disciples to go forward with the message, very shortly thereafter, Someone came along and told them, oh, I ran into Jesus in the desert and I've changed my name. And he gave me this message. And that was Paul, who, if you read the rest of the New Testament, almost all of it, other than Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, those four books and a touch in the Acts. And then again, at Revelation, everything in between those books is not Christ's teachings at all. There's no red. There's very, 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 very little red letter teachings of what Christ. What Christ actually said, once you get beyond Acts chapter two, the rest of it is Paul's teaching. So Jesus warned them even about um, Paul coming and deceiving them. But um, his message, Paul's message, is what a lot of people try and preach and teach as what's the gospel truth. When, like I just said, he doesn't quote Jesus at all. He didn't walk with Jesus at all. So why would he quote Jesus at all? And yet, Whole churches, whole belief systems are built around what he preached and what he taught rather than what Jesus taught. So it ends up those people also being Christians in name only, not actually following anything Jesus taught, but instead following the one that he warned them about who said, oh, I saw Jesus in the desert and he gave me this message. And and he warned them about it. But look, it happened anyway. Paul came along and said he saw a vision in the desert and people believe it even out of this day, 2000 years later, with no quotations from Jesus on his part, without ever having walked a day with Jesus in the flesh. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders so, as, so to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So you may read about those different um, events that Paul says he went through in the, Old in the New Testament but um, again, Jesus warned that they're going to show signs, they're going to show wonders, they're going to say, oh, I ran into Christ. But again, don't believe it. Um, believe Christ. That's the whole point of him, of his coming, to bring us the message directly from God, what God would have us believe, what God would have us follow, what God would have us know. So why would you look to someone else's teaching and then say, oh, that's Christian? It's not. But take heed, see, I've told you all things beforehand. So he's warned them that these things would happen and to be on the lookout for them. But like I said, right after he ascended and left, very shortly after in the book of Acts, there came Paul, Saul, as it's mentioned, and changed to Paul with that whole different teaching that swept across the world. But I believe it it's, it's also serves its purpose because if you get exposed to what is a lie and then something in your spirit lets you know that 
there's confusion there, there's something not right there, then at the very least that leads you, goads you into trying to find out what the truth is. So maybe that's the purpose of that. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So um, Jesus is saying great tribulations are happening and are going to come. And again, there's been no mention of a rapture, but there's also been no mention of an antichrist either. So again, don't let preachers fool you and lie to you and get you to believe something that's not even there. But Jesus is saying one of the things that will happen is that there will be a tribulation and then basically the, the light of the sun and the moon will be eclipsed. Um, the stars of heaven will fall and the powers of heaven will be shaken. So um, the stars of heaven, it could be um, considered um, literally stars will fall. But if you um, in Revelation, it's the stars are sort of spoken of figuratively to say that they're angels will fall from heaven. But that's not what Jesus says. He could have just as easily said that the angels will fall from heaven and that their powers will be shaken. But that's not what he said. He says the stars. So let's just, for now, let's leave it at the literal meaning that stars will fall. There will be the sun and the moon, which he did. He, if he were talking figuratively, then why would he have started it with the sun and the moon and not call, speak of them figuratively as well? So I would have to think he's talking literally that the light of the sun and the moon will be darkened, which again points to most likely a nuclear holocaust of some sort of uh, way where the world is darkened by the uh, aftermath of using nuclear weapons. And the stars of heaven will fall and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Uh, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So again, it, now the, when you think about um, the sun and the moon, there being so much darkness because of the clouds, that those are the clouds that Jesus is referring to. But he could just be referring to the regular clouds as well. But that that's going to be the actual, um, what the return is going to be like. Um, not a rapture, um, but also um, not um, with the... If you read in Revelations, not with bowls and with um, vials and with trumpets, none of that. He didn't mention any of that. So, um, again, that's another reason why the book of Revelation is sort of suspect for me, besides the fact that it doesn't follow um, John's writing style, who's credited with writing it. Um, but other things that just don't agree with what uh, Jesus taught here in the Gospels. But they may all actually be prophecies that come true. Uh, they just may not be what they're um, uh, sourced from, uh, believed to be sourced from, is what my point is. But maybe God willing, we'll get around to reading Revelations 2 and compare them. Um, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Oh, um, I think I skipped one. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Okay, yeah. So I think here Jesus is alluding to the fact that um, and it's very subtle that space travel would be something that would come in the future because where else, how else could he gather people from the farthest part of heaven unless people are living in space and out in what we call the physical heaven at this point? I think that's what Jesus is pointing to the developments like that, and that when he comes, no matter where you are on earth or in the universe, that uh, when Jesus comes again that will be gathered, then that would be um, 
if there's going to be any sort of a rapture or gathering, that's what it's going to be when Jesus actually comes and gathers his elect from everywhere. And that, and, and I would have to think that when he says elect, it would, it, it means believers, Christian believers. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When the, its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So um, a lot of preachers will twist this to say, oh, this is uh, the generation of the fig tree and that this happened um, when Israel became a nation again. Um, it doesn't say that. He's saying here that if you want to look for the signs of what it's going to be like when he comes again, then look how you would at a fig tree growing um, so that you can know you could tell when summer is near when the fruit trees start to bear fruit, basically. Their leaves will pop out, and then the 